1: Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Callanorkas. The opening practice running for the 2020 Spanish Grand Prix took place at the Barcelona track today with, you guessed it, Mercedes topping the times. Battery Bottas was quickest in FP1 before Lewis Hamilton set the fastest time in the afternoon session, where the hot track temperatures meant the Mercedes drivers did not better their times from the first session. As I work on my post-practice feature analysis of the day's pecking order for Autosport.com Plus, which you'll be able to read from Friday evening, I'm going to hand over again to my colleagues, Autosport's technical editor Jake Boxall-Legg and our F1 reporter Luke Smith, who will guide you through all the big talking points of the day.
2: Thank you, Alex. After basking in a rare British heatwave last weekend, the Formula 1 paddock was graced with more high temperatures on Friday as practice for the Spanish Grand Prix got underway at the circuit to Barcelona-Catalunya. Following its defeat to Red Bull at Silverstone, Mercedes was able to resume normal service today as it swept to a 1-2 finish in both practice sessions. Valtteri Bottas pipped Lewis Hamilton to P1 in first practice before Hamilton returned the favourite in FP2, going almost three-tenths of a second clear of his Mercedes teammate. 70th anniversary Grand Prix winner Max Verstappen was left a distant eight-tenths of a second back from Hamilton in top spot, while Daniel Ricciardo impressed again for Renault by popping up into fourth place at the end of the day. An even more surprising name to feature in the top five was Romain Grosjean, who neared nosebleed territory for Haas by taking fifth at the end of the day, although his session was ended early by a power unit issue. It was also another busy day off track as team bosses got another grilling, discussing car copying, engine mode rule changes, Total War future, and even some private chefs. Joining me to discuss all of today's action is Autosport Technical Editor, Jake Boxall Lake. Now, Jake, uh, it was business as usual for Mercedes to stay at the top with a one-two finish in both sessions. How are things looking for them? Uh, obviously, tire blistering and those issues at Silverstone last weekend was a big, big problem.
3: But do you think they've managed to get on top of those so far? track temperatures this weekend are incredibly hot. I think they were hotter than they were at Silverstone even though the air temperature is a little bit lower. So it is really giving these tires a huge old workout because of the swing in in towards high downforce packages and that kind of thing this weekend. I don't think the offset is going to be so big between them and the other teams. They might still struggle. The blistering hasn't been so much of an issue; it's just been where for Mercedes in FP one and FP two, a lot of things to still get their heads around. But um, it probably doesn't look as bad as it did last weekend. Let's say.
2: Now, one man who that doesn't bode well for is Max Verstappen. Obviously, he was able to capitalise on the issues at Silverstone to snatch that victory away. Um, how did Red Bull look today? Obviously, quite a big gap over one lap, but over the long runs, I mean, what what kind of uh, what kind of impressions were you getting out of their performance today?
3: They look pretty good on the long runs, actually. Um, it, it's hard, It's we have to discount Bottas from the overall sort of analysis because he didn't really do too much on the medium, so he stuck to hard and soft running. Um, but when you compare Verstappen's time to Hamilton's times, uh, Verstappen is I think about two tenths quicker, um, which which bodes well for Red Bulls, certainly, um, especially in race trim. Obviously, in qualifying, there's, there's too much of a, a gap between the two teams. It's more of a Gaping, gaping chasm more than anything but um i don't think it looks too bad for red Bull from from the outset um whether you know mercedes just keeping a little bit back in practice you know that's wouldn't be surprising but i think they can be a little bit buoyant um going into going into the weekend
2: lando norris reported after session that the, the high tire was uh, quote garbage um so really did seem to struggle with it. Um, I mean, obviously, that harder compound—that is what works so well for Red Bull last weekend. Obviously, they're able to really, really exploit that. But if if things are sort of pointing to more, pointing more towards the softer tires, what kind of effect would that have? Do you think Mercedes would sort of that would remove this advantage that Red Bull was able to gain last time around?
3: It depends on if Red Bull can opt for a one stop strategy using the hard tire that will bring some options to the game but also whether you can conserve the medium tires long enough to do a one stop as well i think it's going to be pretty touch and go with stops you're sort of on the precipice of a one or two stop obviously teams will be doing endless simulations to work out what's best and what's not but yeah i think it's going to come down to whether you can make a medium set of tires last you know over half the race or whether you're going to have to dip into your, your allowance of hards to do that or whether you're going to sacrifice going on the hard tyre for another stop and doing soft, medium, medium or something like that. So I think there's a few strategies that teams have to play with.
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. And I think particularly in the midfield battle, I mean, it was very, very close today. I think we had uh, six tenths of a second separating P6 to P16 um, in, in that second session. It was very, very close indeed. Uh, a lot of teams, obviously, particularly compared to Silverstone, going for a much higher downforce setup. Do you think, particularly given the struggles the Ferrari powered teams have had in terms of straight line speed, do you think that sort of requirement of the of the track here in Barcelona, do you
3: think that's going to automatically bunch the field up a lot more? Especially when you look at the half pace in practice as well. That sort of gave quite a good omen because it suggests that it's not as power limited as Silverstone was perhaps, where the Ferrari customer teams, if you like, really, really struggled. Obviously, the Alphas look a little bit out for the count at the moment, but... Ferrari probably won't be, you know, as as limited as they were on some of the faster circuits. Obviously, Barcelona's got, you know, a gopping long straight uh, on start and finish straight. But um, it's, yeah, again, it's not really so much of a power circuit. So I think their sort of shortfalls, if you like, will will be a little bit masked by that.
2: Certainly. Uh, we also saw the return of Sergio Perez today, obviously, after missing the last few races due to his positive test for COVID-19. Tested negative earlier this week, meaning he could return to the paddock on Thursday, back in the car for FP1 and back on the pace straight
3: away. 7th in FP1, 8th in FP2. It's not a bad return, really, is it? Obviously, you look into the first two practice sessions just to sort of like dip your toe back in the water and shake off the... Obviously, some rust will accumulate, but as we've seen with Nico Hülkenberg, it's not it's not too difficult to get rid of. Um, and, you know, Perez was, was very good. He's just back on it, picking up from where he left off. Really. It's nice to see him back. Um, obviously, you know, uh, a COVID-19 diagnosis is obviously never very nice for anybody. Um, especially when you're a, I guess, professional racing driver and you, you, you're seeing someone else doing an amazing job in your car as Hulkenberg was doing last weekend. Um, but you know, Perez has shaken that off. He's, he's got, back to where he was before um so yeah and also i think it's it's just nice to see him back isn't it
2: yeah certainly certainly and i think there's been a lot of conversation about sort of the ins and outs of perez's trip to mexico and where he might have picked up uh this obviously this awful virus and uh racing point team principal Mark now said today that they think they've narrowed it down to it was potentially a private chef that perez actually hired once he returned from Mexico was back in Europe. Didn't want to risk going out to restaurants and anything like that, so hired a private chef to cook for him. And that might have been where he picked up COVID nineteen. I mean, I think this is really just a, a another wake up call and reminder, really, for F one that as much of a, a bubble as I guess the sport can be, that really no one and no one in this sport is uh, is immune to this. I don't know
3: if I completely buy that. I think you... <laughs> I don't know if you, you can... cynic JBL. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that. It's not that. I, I completely. By the um Mexico trip story like I don't think there was any question about that um but I mean obviously some people would disagree but you know I I don't think there's any question about that but I don't know if you can narrow it down I think it's just something that you know you could be in a supermarket and have touched the same cornflakes as somebody and if they've not washed their hands properly then covid nineteen's yours happy free gift <laughs> you know it's not like the free gifts you're getting in the cereal when we were kids you can never be 100 safe and you know you could do everything right and still get it but that's kind of part of the game we play um and you know to get back racing it was inevitable that it was going to happen at some point um it's just it's unlucky for Sergio that it was him um I'm, you know I wouldn't be surprised if he was not the last person to end up getting it in the paddock this happens this is the world now
2: yeah, unfortunately, that is correct. Uh, obviously, great to see Sergio back. And also good to report as well that F1 uh, confirmed there have been 5,467 COVID-19 tests uh, taking place in the last week, and there have been zero positive cases in that. So uh, good news for the ongoing screening. And uh, the obviously, the other big news from today, the Racing Point saga. I mean, it's been ongoing. It's probably going to rumble on for many, many more weeks. Um, but we're enjoying this needle that we're seeing between some of the team principals. Um, Zach Brown, he called out uh, some of the claims about the Racing Point case last week, uh, said it was BS that Racing Point said that they had designed the car purely by reverse engineering from photography. Uh, Altmar Safna responded to that saying, oh, Zach seems to know more about historic racing than he does about F1. And then we got Zach responding to that today when he said, uh, quote, I'd invite Altmar to come join me because he's got an historic car
3: that he's currently racing Jimmy, I'm like, what are you thinking of this sort of beef between these guys? It's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's good fun. Um, I think everybody's a little bit sick of hearing about break ducks but it is generating a nice sort of like little side story of um, you know these team principals giving them each other a bit of needle. Um, I guess we had a sort of similar situation in 2018 when I, I suppose it was popularized by Netflix the sort of beef between christian horner and Cyrilla beatball Uh, it was it got petty but it was sort of quite fun to watch from the outside and this is getting a little bit petty let's be honest um but you know i'm enjoying it from the sideline it doesn't involve me so you know (laughs) they can crack on for all i care um so it's good fun it's good to see a little bit of humor in formula one because we do take ourselves far too seriously at times and it's just you know it's nice to see it i guess
2: Certainly, that's yes. very, very true indeed. Ah. Uh... I think, as you said, people are maybe a bit sick about the racing point saga. I mean, in short, there's not really been any new information coming out this week. We're waiting on the appeals, obviously, and uh, the process with the FIA appeal court. But linked to that is uh, the FIA obviously clamping down on reverse engineering of cars uh, in the future. And now this is something that was the main reason behind both McLaren and Williams withdrawing its decision to appeal the FIA's ruling. Uh, This week, uh, FIA Secretary General for Motorsport Peter Bayer has sent a letter to teams confirming they'll be both a ban on the special qualifying engine modes that you can read all about on autosport.com, uh, but also this clampdown on reverse engineering cars through photography um, for next season. Um, are you pleased to see these steps, JBL? I mean, obviously, we sort of talk about the support for independent constructors and the idea that all teams should be building their own cars. So what do you think about this move?
3: Well, I think I want to scale it back first. I want to set, because obviously there was the big transition to brake Ducks becoming a listed part for this year, and that's how Racing Point essentially got tripped up, which... I don't like. I don't like the way it was changed. I think, in my mind, Formula One should be looking at ways of being more cost effective. And if you can buy as many parts in as you can, then that's all resource you can put into the rest of the car. And so you have a, a cheaper grid and you have a more competitive grid. Um, obviously, if the manufacturers want to put their money where their mouth is, you know that's what they're there to do. But when you're a midfield team, um, you've got a. You have to compromise a lot and i remember talking to jody eggington uh, uh it was then toro rosso but is alfa now um the the fact that they buy in all of these bits from red bull means that they can put all of their resources into the rest of the development of the car and it worked for them really well last year and that's the sort of the midfield competitiveness is what we want to see across the board um so uh, but i understand the reverse engineering point of view you can't if if you have a part, you can't reverse engineer it. And I completely understand that and I get that. And that's that's fine with me. And as for with regards to engine qualifying modes, I I don't like that. I don't like the way that teams are gonna get restricted into running what is essentially one mode throughout the entirety of the weekend, because it's sort of I agree with Mercedes on this in that it's, it will reduce overtaking because if you've got a higher engine mode available to you and you can't pass the parent car in front, but you might be able to with a higher engine mode, you're not going to have that option to you. Um, and from Mercedes standpoint, anyway, this isn't going to hinder them in any way because their engine is so reliable that they can afford to run a higher mode as a default. And if you're, uh, you know, Ferrari or Renault or somebody and you're maybe a little bit more worried about the reliability of your power unit over the, you know, over the course of the race, you're not going to be able to do that because you're going to have to conserve. And so I think the side effect of it, rather than to close the gap up, it's just going to, it's going to widen it. I think, especially when it comes to a, comes to a race. I think when you're the FIA and you're looking at rules changes, you need to look at what the outcome is rather than what you're trying to do and change the rules to anticipate that outcome rather than try and force an outcome by doing something um, so i i don't understand it to be honest with you
2: that would make sense as to why uh, lewis hamilton was fairly sort of confident about things yesterday he said that it won't achieve what uh, they're setting out to do really which is you'd imagine peg back Mercedes. Uh, Toto Wolff, he said today that it's, it's to be expected that Mercedes would obviously have stuff like this come along, but uh, he responded by saying, well, we'll simply run our engine in a higher mode, basically, right the way through the weekend like in the race as well. So, uh, I think you could be right there in your assessment, JBL. Um, and to wrap up, I mean, we'll remain with uh, Toto Wolff. Um, today, he was talking a bit about his his future. Um, we know that Toto, much like Mercedes, obviously, Mercedes has been sort of talking about his future in F1. Uh, it is looking to sign up to the Concord agreement. Now Toto Wolff confirmed there's been a bit of a U-turn on that front and he's now happy with where talks are at and is looking ready to sign by the deadline at the end of the month. But we are also thinking about Toto Wolff's own future with Mercedes. His contract is up at the end of the season. Uh, we know he's been in talks for some time with Mercedes about what his uh, his role will be moving forward. Uh, he's understood to sort of be weighing up. Does he want to take a bit of a more uh, senior role, perhaps hand the day-to-day running of the team over to someone else and he can focus on the sort of more managerial and perhaps political tasks come with running a Formula One team. Uh, Jake, where do you see Toto's future lying? Do you think it's likely that he's going to perhaps move upstairs a little bit and uh, perhaps leave it to someone such as James Allison to look at the day-to-day
3: running of procedures at Brackley? He's He's got quite a young family now. I wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of take a bit of a step back, go to a few races and spe- probably spend a little bit more, more time at home with his daughter. I think that, w- that would kind of make sense. Um, you know, he's been in the game for a fair few years now. He's had a lot of success, incredible managerial type has been <laughs> responsible for this hugely successful outfit um we if that entailed a james allison promotion um you would then have to look at ferrari and see how has promoting your senior technical figure to a, t- a de facto team principal work out. and it's you I, I would say the jury is still out on whether that's worked with Bonotto or not what you benefit from is having a, a good technical leader and then a good leader in terms of, you know, the sort of sporting side as well. Um, you need to sort of have skin in the game on both. And Toto's done that and he's walked that line perfectly and you want a like-for-like replacement. And I rate James Allison a lot. I don't know if he is that like-for-like like like uh, like-for-like replacement. Um, I think you would need to do a couple of races this year just to see how it pans out um, and test the waters a little bit. Um, because it's sort of, you know, you're you're losing your figurehead if Wolf makes the step upstairs. They need to make a decision now, really. They need to make a decision, sort of, pretty swiftly, so they can put succession plans in place, uh, bring someone from outside if they if they need to. Obviously, going outside of Formula One has worked incredibly well for McLaren and bringing Andrea Seidel in, and someone of a similar calibre, someone equally no nonsense, uh, who can run this team effectively um, through the next sets of rule changes is i is ideal and it's it's paramount to mercedes continued success so i i would expect them to to consider it carefully but um they would be it would be quite a big hit if if wolf decided to move upstairs i guess
2: Certainly, yeah. big changes uh, that could be afoot that obviously we're going to be tracking very closely in the coming weeks and months. Uh, that'll wrap it up for today's bite sized podcast following FP1 and FP2 for the Spanish Grand Prix. And we'll be back tomorrow with more analysis uh, following qualifying.
1: Well, thanks to Luke and JBL for their thoughts, and thanks to you for listening. Just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out yesterday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis, and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com/slash-plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast. Music is "6 A.M." by Trilo written by Marcus Simmons see soundcloud.com slash trilomusic